0: don't stand on a platform behind your wife and start chuckling, okay? <laughs> I don't know what happened was, it just she just made me smile, and then I started realizing that was funny that I was smiling and laughing behind her, and then there was no recovery, so. <laughs> Love you, honey. Okay, fine, whatever. Here's one from the Lord, Proverbs 7, verse four. Say to wisdom, unless I'm paying attention here, you are my sister and call understanding your nearest kin. Okay, so uh, let's let's pray. Lord, as we get into your word today, we realize, Lord, that there are things contained in here that are intentional by you to make us more like your son. Help us see those things. Help us be available to those things. Thanks, God, for loving us like this. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We started last week um, on a little short series. We're actually working through the book of Jonah. I, I, f- I figure there is probably no story in the Bible that is more ridiculed than um, this one, right? I mean, um, uh, there was a, I heard this story about this young girl who was on a street corner sharing her faith, and uh, a little bit of a crowd kind of gathered around her, and, and she was talking about what Christ had done for her, and, and this man f- came along, and uh, he... Um, he was a very intellectual um man who happened to be atheist, and he decided that he was going to humiliate this little girl and um he was going to make her look silly and make her look foolish because obviously obviously she must be foolish if she believes that bible stuff so he interrupted her excuse me young lady um i've have, I have a question for you yes sir she said and and uh, do you believe that the Bible is true well of course, sir, I believe the Bible is true, every word of it. And uh, he said, okay, so is it that you believe that all the miracles in the Bible are true? And she said, yes, sir, if it's in the Bible, they're all true. And, oh, is that so? So then you believe this story that Jonah and the whale, that a man was actually swallowed by a whale and survived to tell the story. Do you, do you believe in that? Well, yes, sir, it's in the Bible, I believe it. Well, tell me, how is that possible? He challenged her and um, all oh, the crowd now is looking at her to wait what her, what, what her answer is. She said, well, you know, I don't understand it all. I just know, and, and I think when I get to heaven, I'll just ask Jonah about it. And the man says to her, well, what if he's not in heaven? What if he's in hell? She said, well, then maybe you can ask him. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Don't tell a joke like that in church. I mean... I think for the most part, the book of Jonah is viewed as a story about a man and a whale and um, his interaction. And we focus so much on that little portion of the book because we kind of miss the forest for the trees. And the essential message of Jonah is not uh, about a whale. In fact, only three verses even mention the whale in that entire book. This is a story about God's interaction with a man who... Um, God had given him a job to do, an assignment, and he basically said no, and he went the absolute opposite direction. And um, the story goes on because God loves him so much that he's going to not let him off the hook, so to speak, and he gets Jonah's attention in a fairly unique way. Jonah finally obeys, and the result is this huge, massive cultural change um, revival that took place. The message of the book of Jonah is basically that God gives second chances, and we left off last time. Um, the Lord had told Jonah, go preach to the great city of Nineveh. And Jonah basically said, No, nope, not gonna do it. And he gets in a boat, goes the opposite way to a place called Tarshish instead of Nineveh. And um, we discovered a few other things as we, we studied that through, that the devil will always open doors for us to disobedience. And um, you know, the thing is, God is not the only person, not the only one who can open doors. And so Jonah went down the word says he went down to Joppa, he went down to the bottom of the ship, he went down into the ocean, he went down into the belly of the whale, and then he went down into the deep, reminding us that every step away from God is a step down, and that's not good. Why didn't, why didn't Jonah just want to do this? What's the deal? Why not just go preach to the city of Nineveh? I think the simple answer is that he, 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 he didn't want God to spare these people. He felt if, he, if God was sending him to preach that they would change and he did not want them to change. He wanted God to judge them. They were uh, pretty, pretty uh, terrible. He wanted them wiped out. Now Nineveh was the capital of Assyria for you history buffs, capital of Assyria and, and they were the enemies of the Jewish people. They were known for their wickedness. They were known basically for their atrocities. Everything, I mean they were just atrocious the things they did. God even said, their wickedness has risen up to me. So um, this is, you know, the historical records that talk about the, this whole thing, it's more than just scripture, but historical records talk about how the people there would boast, how they would just brag about the terrible things they did. They've uncovered monuments that said, you know, I did this, I did that. They were pretty, pretty gruesome things we talked about last week. And God says to, to, to Jonah, those people, go to them. And uh, Jonah says, no not going to do that, Lord, because I know your nature, God. You're going to give them another chance. You're going to forgive them, and um, so I'm not going to go. And he thinks, Jonah thinks, he can somehow thwart the purposes of God. We'll see what, how that works. So he gets on the ship, and he pays a fare, and he goes down to Tarshish. And here's the thing about this, where he's headed. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to spend. So that's where we were um, as we ended last week. So now we pick up here and we're gonna, uh, we're gonna just, here's the thing, God always gets the last word, we're gonna see this, so let's pick this up again. Jonah 1, starting in verse four. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners, these are, this is not a baseball team, these are actual sailors, okay? <laughs> um, in case you just didn't have that clear. Um, they were afraid. Every man cried out, every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. So immediately they see a problem, they go to the wrong God, and they start doing wrong things to solve this problem. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So God sends this mighty storm to get the attention of this prodigal prophet of his. And um, we're all going to face storms in life. That's something that you just can't escape. Every single one of us. Jesus said, in the world you will face tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So don't be surprised when hardships, when trials come your way. So I, I think that there are three different kinds of storms that we face in life, three different kinds, So, will just take a minute on these. Uh, protecting storms, perfecting storms, and correcting storms. I'll give you examples of what I mean by that, um, of a protecting storm. One of the most famous was uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. And uh, I want, we're not going to go there right now, but it's in Matthew 14 if you want to read it later. But he, but, he, but he basically performs a miracle. 5,000 are fed, and that's the count of the men. Doesn't include, that count doesn't include the women and the kids. There's a lot of people. He comes up with miraculous. He feeds all these people. There's leftovers. Pretty big, pretty big miracle. And um, the people are pretty excited about it, and uh, they get some great-hearted wrong intentions. They're thinking, we're going to make this guy king, whether he wants to be king or not. Jesus could see this brewing and he basically says to the disciples, come on boys, time to go, get in the boat, go. So they head off across the Sea of Galilee. Um, You can read forward, but basically what happens is this big storm comes up. The purpose of the storm was to separate the disciples from what the people were wanting and he was protecting them. The storm there was to protect them. That's one example. Another example is, uh, the children of Israel in, ex, in the Exodus, they're, they're heading out. The, the Pharaoh has finally said, fine, get out of Dodge. And they take off, and then he has a change of heart. He, he gets all of his soldiers together. They hop on their chariots. They're ready to slap leather. They're chasing the, the, the children of Israel down. And, um, and, and, the, and now the, the children of Israel are pinned against the sea. And here come the bad guys, and they're just going to chop them up. And uh, uh, in Exodus 14, here's what it says, verse 21. It says, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. It blew all night. A huge windstorm came, separated the sea. It was a miracle. It was not a weather anomaly. It was just another example of the Lord controlling the winds and the seas and whatever. And um, God used that storm to protect them so that they would have a place of escape and a protection. So that's, that's a protecting storm. Another storm that, um, so to speak, would be a perfecting storm would be um, storms that, that they come in life, and you just can't always explain what they're about. But And they're hard, because they're storms. Storms are hard, but they have a purpose. Joseph is an example. He faced a whole bunch of storms in his life. He, he, um, he was betrayed by his brothers, sold off into slavery. He was falsely accused of rape. He was falsely imprisoned. These are all pretty major storms. You would consider them if they happened to you. And... Um, But God was building Joseph in those times and it was shaping him into a man of peculiar character, special character. And eventually the Lord promoted him to become the second most powerful man on the face of the earth. And when the time came, it was in his heart to forgive his brothers who had done these things to him and not take retribution against Potiphar's family and all of these different things that had gone on. Instead, he was the bringer of life, he was the provider, he was thinking and he saved the he saved not only saved the nation, he saved the world and he saved his family's future nation it was it was those were storms that the Lord used to protect him and and maybe some of you are in that kind of a storm right now where the Lord is stretching you and um, deepening you and and perfecting you and it doesn't feel good, but there's something good coming out and that, so th- there are perfecting storms and then there are correcting storms. That's where Jonah has found himself. Now, it's different. A correcting storm is different than a perfecting storm in that um, you know, a perfecting storm, a, a, a correcting storm comes to us sometimes because um, we've done something to bring it upon ourselves. A perfecting storm, not so much. So Joseph's storms were brought on him not because he was godless, but because he was godly. The Lord was using him to shape him on the other hand, here we've got um, Jonah and these calamities are coming upon him and they're of his own doing. You following me? Okay, so a correcting storm comes probably because we did something to bring it on ourselves. It's reaping what we sow. It's, it's, the Lord's using a storm here to get Jonah's attention. Now, time out for a minute. Do not become judge and jury when you see storms in other people's lives. Don't you dare say, ah, you brought this on yourself. Whether that's true or not, it's never our place to bring that kind of crushing judgment on someone. Instead, be one who loves and supports and brings life and hope. If the Lord's doing something, get your toes out of his territory. (laughs) Anyway, okay, so um, we can sit back and watch Jonah go, hey, this is your own doing. You reap what you sow, buddy, but that's fine because he's, to us, is this guy from history. But don't do it to your friends, okay? Okay, so... Anyway, so um, this is also what's happening to Jonah, this terrible stuff, because God loves him. He's not going to let him wander away into destruction. He's being corrected. How do we know God loves us? I mean, it's a worthwhile question to ask. Do we know God loves us because he makes us feel warm and fuzzy? Okay, maybe this much of the time i don't think that's how we know god there's lots of ways that we know god loves us i think the best way that we know is that he sent his only son to provide for us a way to have eternity which is a pretty big deal that's that's one way another way is that the lord that we know that the lord loves us is that he disciplines us it's true Hebrews 12, 6 says, The Lord corrects the people he loves and disciplines those he calls his own. So, if you want to be a, a son or a daughter of the king, you got to expect this kind of stuff to happen. You know, if you endure this kind of discipline, God's treating you like his own children. If God doesn't discipline you like he does all of his children, then you're illegitimate. You're not really his child. If you go through life without discipline, you know, if, if you have grown up and gone through life and you've never been disciplined, your parents have failed you as parents. Um, sadly, this is a story, I think, of way too many people, um, American people today. But God sets this example. This is the standard. This, this, this is God saying, here's how you raise those that you love. And I just want to spend a minute, I'm not going to go off on you on parenting, but I just say to you that with all of the contemporary ideas and all of the books and all of the theories and all of the philosophies that feel good at the moment that come out there, parents have to decide for themselves, are these approaches to parenting superior to what God tells us about raising children? I know it's a question to ask. I, I really think that your purpose as a parent is not to keep your children out of jail your purpose as a parent is to keep them out of hell. Yeah. Good. And um, your purpose isn't to teach them to get along well in the world, to conform to the world. Scripture tells you your purpose is to help them to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. And um, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. And I'm telling you, what, I, that tr- is so true. And um, children, an awful lot of them, I'm one of them, we don't take a straight course. <laughs> to righteousness, right? Yeah. At least maybe maybe you did, but for me, it was like one of these. Yeah. And the this part goes off the scale in places. Not proud of that. But if you raise up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's a promise from God. Bear hug that promise, you parents. Raise them up in the way they should go, and then bear hug the promise. So, um, you know, in, in fact, here 's another one about disciplining it 's proverbs 3, um, 11 and twelve My son, do not despise the lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights, and this is not only a pointing out of discipline, this is a parent teaching a son or a daughter to actually embrace being disciplined. Have a right attitude about when the lord's shaping us it's hard yeah, I know, I can be pretty stubborn, God. This is what it took for you to get me to change and accept that and embrace it. I I love that. So because Jonah is God's love child, he's being disciplined. And the Lord sends this storm in to remind him that he's loved. And God's saying, you know, Jonah, this discussion isn't over. (laughs) You can get off the boat if you want. And maybe the Lord has allowed a storm in your life to get your attention because sometimes we go astray. You know, Terry, I told you to come back, but you're not listening and I'm going to tell you this again now, but I'm giving you a warning and if we have to have this discussion again, Terry, there's going to be some punishment involved because I will get your attention. I love you so much, Terry, that I'm going to enforce the things I'm saying to you to get you where I need you to be. I've had that discussion. (laughs) (laughs) I've had that before. David had it too. He said, not that I, you know, David said, he said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. (laughs) Maybe the Lord has done something lately to get your attention or to bring you to your senses or to bring you back to him. That's what he's about to do here to Jonah. So this big, huge, honking storm comes in. And these, by the way, are seasoned sailors. This is what they do with their life. They've become experts at sailing. And this ship is pitching back and forth, and, and this, this weather is beating down on the ship, and, and, and somehow Jonah is in the bottom of the ship sleeping. He's catching Z's. And, it, you know, I look at that, and I've heard this comparison, and I have to ask myself the question, is this a picture of the church today? You know, the world's afraid, is the church asleep you know is the is the, the world's asking questions and sometimes the church doesn't have answers but people are dying in their sins and the church is asleep the thing is a couple of things about being asleep you know a little bit transparent with you on sunday afternoons at my house i mean you can be asleep and not really be aware that you're asleep you sit down and you, you think you're watching a car race which all of us you should be doing on sunday afternoons and all of a sudden you realize it's three quarters over and you just started it and you missed something and you look at your wife and you say, honey, was I asleep? Not only were you asleep, you were snoring like a storm. I mean, you weren't really even aware. So sometimes we can kind of be asleep and not really, it doesn't really register. Another thing is that we'll deny we're asleep. You ever get a phone call? 6.30 in the morning or 5.30 in the morning and the first thing a person will say was, hey, did I wake you? Oh, no, 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 I've been up praying for hours. (laughs) Like like somehow we got to, Like it's a bad thing that we were Yeah, I was asleep. You got a clock? You know, yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, it's like, but we deny it like it's a bad thing. So sometimes we're really not aware we're asleep, and then sometimes we deny it. You can be asleep and not even know it, and you might deny it, and I think it's possible to be spiritually asleep. I mean, lethargic when it comes to doing, you know, what the Lord is maybe speaking to us to do. God tells Jonah, go preach to Nineveh, and he's asleep, going the wrong way. What is it that the Lord has told the church to do? Let's personalize this. What is the Lord told Crossroads Church? Let's even personalize it. What is it that the Lord has told you to do? He told us all, go into the world and preach the gospel. If you're not doing that, it's possible you're asleep. So we're told in Romans thirteen and do this knowing the time that now is the high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the days at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So we need to wake up and suit up and, and get in the game. God's calling us. Okay, so notice notice how all these sailors are crying out to their God. Verse five, then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God. Now, none of them have the right God, but they cried out to all these deities. Humans have a spiritual aspect to us. You know, the old saying that there are no atheists in foxholes, right? I mean, they're calling out and, um, you know, it's, I think it's, when when stuff's going on and, and people call out, oh, God, that's a good thing if they're calling out to the right God, right? Okay, so, but none of them have the right God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? <laughs> Does that sound like normal conversation? I, I don't know. I, I've dug down into this. I mean, that word sleeper, it could be translated deadhead. Hey, Deadhead. But Okay, so the captain, okay, this is all going on. What do you suppose the captain starts out with? The storm comes. He's saying, put the sails down. Accept enough to get forward motion. You guys, three guys, strap yourselves to the rudder. Let's keep forward direction. Let's, let's toss some stuff. There's all kinds of stuff that's going on. The captain's responsible to save the ship. Think of all of the things he did before he had the time to go looking in the bottom of the ship to try to find any other reason because everything else we're doing is not fixing this. And he comes to this guy. Hey, deadhead, <laughs> what is this all about? Okay, I don't know how the the captain knew that. He says, arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God would consider us so that we may not perish. They got no answer from their gods. They got no answers from tossing stuff over. None of that fixed it. And so they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So these sailors know that storms, this, this is not your normal storm. Okay, they're experienced, and it's unusual, bizarre. Why why is this happening? So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us. I wonder if they were really this polite. (laughs) Please tell us. Um, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? What is your daddy, and what do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? (laughs) Where in the world are you from? They're they're asking him. So he says to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now they had heard of this God. They've heard of Yahweh, Jehovah. They've heard of this God who parts seas and wipes out armies. This is the God who raises from the dead. They've heard of him and they're wondering, why would you run from a God like that? Why do we do that? We do it, you know? We run from God. Sometimes we do. In fact, um, uh, uh, you know, as Seth was, you know, leading us into communion today, I, I, I thought about, um, you know, Jesus, Jesus said and predicted and scripture foretold that he would die and rise out of the grave. That is the gospel, by the way. The gospel is, is this, that the script, just like the scriptures told us, he came to die for our sins, and then he defeated and rose out of the grave. So, so he told people this was going to happen, and it's kind of funny. Right after, funny as in odd, after all of that happens in the immediate aftermath, the disciples scattered. They lost hope. They were devastated. They were brokenhearted. The non-believers remembered what he said, and they said, "You know what? We we better we better take care of this. Let's let's guard the tomb, right?" The non-believers remembered, but the believers scattered. Apparently they forgot what he said and the non-believers remembered. There's a story I've heard about this bar that was trying to expand. It was you know, getting bigger and there was a local, um, I think it was a Baptist church that was you know, trying to prevent this, this bar from being able to do it. And so they started this campaign of petitions and prayers to keep this bar from getting bigger. And um, so um, it was still going up. And about a week before the project was physically done, the building got hit by lightning and literally caught on fire and burned to the ground. And the bar owner, maybe you heard about this, maybe the bar owner um, decided to sue the church saying that because they prayed that, right down. and of course, to protect themselves, the church said, we had nothing to do with this. You're on your own. And it went to court, and when the judge gets all of the arguments in the papers, he basically, before he came out with his decision, said, basically said, you know, I don't know what I'm gonna do here. Apparently, we've got a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire congregation that does not. (laughs) So Jonah's being called out for his hypocrisy here. Verse 10 Then the men were exceedingly afraid. When you see that in the scripture, don't minimize. Have you ever been exceedingly afraid? I don't know. And said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. These guys are afraid. They fear God. They're perplexed. They don't understand why Jonah would challenge God, and I think, I think, that kind of reverence can slip away from us a little bit too easily. I mean, I mean, even in you know, listen, um, I I'm, I just think sometimes the body of Christ can work at becoming so relevant that we can exchange relevance for reverence. I need you to be, you know, I need you to catch, you know, let's pray for that little one, whoever that is. It's not as bad as it feels to that little one. Lord, f- just touch that little child and fill him with life and with hope and all who care for them. God, we're grateful for their loving touch on that child in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I don't always hear that. I hope it doesn't bother you. Children are a part of our lives and if you don't have the sounds of kids around, then you must not have kids around because they come with sound. Um, Anyway, but we're growing up so we can focus and we're just fine and we're grateful and we want to support those families. But I think sometimes, um, and the reason I mention this is these guys are packed with reverence for God. And um, I I watch that sometimes in the body of Christ where relevance becomes more important to us than reverence. And um, here's the thing. I'm all about relevance But God is not gonna change his word to become relevant to me. His word's already relevant. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And um, so he honors above everything else, above even relevance, he honors his word. And um, it's already relevant. I'm not saying that relevance isn't important. I'm just saying this. Don't ever expect relevance to change anyone. It's the word of God that will change people. It's the Holy Spirit that will change people. Here's a couple of scriptures just in case. Um, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow, as it judges the thoughts and purposes of the heart. That's what the word of God does. When you read the word of God, it's living and active. And it might be a story about Jonah, but the Holy Spirit will just take that and just, just kind of slice and dice a little bit, does a little bit of trimming, gets your hair looking perfect. You know, that's what the Holy Spirit does with the word of God. It will just get us, make you beautiful. It really will. And um, I appreciate the other thing that, that Pastor Seth brought, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He had no idea that, that was coming up today. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of salvation to everyone who believes. So we need to have reverence for God, and we need to worship a holy God, and we need to have, open our hearts to the word of, of, of the, the, God's word. And if that's missing in a church, that's a mistake. And that's why we um, hear this place, in our core values, the number one core value is we will honor the word of God. And I just promise you that. And I just make another comment about that since I'm already off on this rabbit trail. You know, um, sometimes people say to me, well, how, you know, what, what do you see as your role? And I, I don't know how to say other than teaching the word of God. It's like, I, I'm, my role is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> kind of Anyway, okay so, so Jonah knows the deal And he tells these sailors How to get rid of the storm Verses 12 and 13 And he said to them Pick me up and throw me into the sea Then the sea will become calm for you For I know that this great tempest Is because of me He tells them the truth <laughs> So they, they do it right then, right? Uh -uh. nevertheless the men rode hard to return to land but they could not for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them now here's an example of them knowing the truth common sense is telling them the truth it's a hard truth and they're refusing it and now they're acting like jonah is a victim of the storm as are they he's not a victim I would just point this out to you. This is teaching us that every solution that mankind would construct outside of God's wills, God's will will fail. We can construct any solution we want to if it's outside of God's will. It's not gonna work. They wanted to get to shore. They couldn't. They wanted to do this their own way. They could not. They prayed to their own God. He could not fix this for them. And he says, listen guys, if you really wanna get out of this, here's what it's gonna take. It's gonna take a sacrifice got to throw me in. And there's nothing in this whole passage that gives any suggestion that, that Jonah had any hope or any expectation that a fish was going to swim up and give him a ride to the bottom of the sea and save him. He, he, he was effectively saying, God will be satisfied when you throw me over bear, overboard. You'll be spared. Just toss me in. And this, this is a It's a perfect picture of what Jesus did for us. Do you see that? It's like, if we want to to get right with God, there has to be a sacrifice. And the sacrifice is Jesus Christ. Jesus even used this story to illustrate his his, his plan on, on the earth. Um, what he was going to do on and after the cross we, sh- we saw this last week, Matthew twelve, no sign will be given to it to except the sign of the prophet Jonah, for as this is Jesus talking, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day were pressing Jesus for a sign, and he says here 's your sign guys, just like noah i 'm going to die, and then i 'm going to step up out of the grave <laughs> That's the gospel. So the men in the boat finally believes, believe verse 14, therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, "We pray, O Lord, please do not let us, look who they're praying to, please do not us, let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it, done as it pleased you." So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. What a moment! They're certain they're going to die. It's terrible conditions. They're rocking back and forth. They're banging against the bulkhead. There's bruises and they're hurting and they're desperate. They toss them over. Oh, sea's flat. It's work on your tan. I don't know. It stopped from its raging. Verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. <coughs> Excuse me. Then the men feared the Lord and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Notice it's it's, it's God. It's the Lord God. It's not their false gods anymore. It's the Lord. It just shows that the Lord can still work through this flawed man. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Should have brought enough hand around, sorry. <laughs> Forgive me if I smack. So Jonah's running from God. His testimony is flawed. And yet, all of these people believe as a result. It's, it's just great to know that God can use flawed people. Now, there's speculation and questions about, you know, what was this fish? One place it's called a whale, one place it's called a fish. Some people speculate that it was a sperm whale. There was, I, I read about one place where there was a 50 foot sperm whale that was captured and they examined the contents of its stomach and it had a 40 foot long giant squid that weighed over 400 pounds in it. You know, if it, if, if, if it can handle a, a, a giant squid, well, it can sure handle one minor Hebrew prophet. So uh, it may have been a fish or a whale. I don't really care. Some people say it was a one off animal that the Lord created. I don't know. I, do, I believe it because Jesus verified it. Lots of reasons to believe it, but that's a great one. Either way, is inside of it, and it looks like the deal is over. It's over for him. And here's the thing, though. The true test of a believer, of a true believer, is where they wind up. A true believer will always come home eventually, and a non-believer will not. In fact, we find that in First John. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain they are not of us. Okay, so that's not where my point today And it just shows you how stubborn Jonah was. You see how stubborn he was here? Before he prays. Back to verse 17. And now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then verse one of the next chapter. Then Jonah prayed. Three days. (laughs) Three days. Three days finally. Okay. Three days. (laughs) And here's the thing. You can pray in any position, any time, Anywhere, privately, publicly, verbally, silently, on your knees, standing, sitting, lying down, prone in a belly of a fish, driving your car, keep your eyes open, whatever. <laughs> then let's, let's look at his prayer. It's an amazing prayer. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord as God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. There's a promise. I called to you from the land of the dead and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped around, itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. What an amazing prayer. Eight times in this prayer, he's quoting from the Psalms, most of this prayer is is simply s- scripture that he has obviously memorized. He didn't have his library with him. I mean, I, I I think many times when I pray, I'm I'm quoting scripture not to remind God, but to remind me, That's right. so that my intellect and my soul can hear the Word of God. I mean, for example, if I'm praying for. If I'm, if I'm needing wisdom about something, I remember that um, I'm promised um that if, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask the Lord and he'll give it abundantly. You see that in, in James. Or if I'm if I'm praying for healing, let the let the let him that he who's sick, call for the elders of the church and the laying on of hands. We we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We cite the promises of God and then we just stand on them and then we pray. Jonah's quoting scripture. And by the way, you can see from his words here, he's losing hope. You get to about verse seven, he says, I'm losing all hope, but I turned my thoughts to the Lord. And it, another thing, that, if you look at this this prayer, he's not asking to be delivered. He's just giving praise to God here. He's wrapped up in seaweed, he's convinced he's going to the bottom to stay, and he's giving thanks to the Lord. It's just an example where the Lord, the, the scriptures never tell us to, Give thanks to the Lord only when we feel good. We give thanks to the Lord because he is good. God's in control. And watch what happens. Um, Verse 10 and then chapter 3. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. (laughs) I want to see that. Now the the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and preach it to them. it to the message. Preach it the message I tell you. You know, you got to wonder in this story somewhere along here if God was ever going to use him again. If, um, because the Lord was under no obligation to use Jonah. And, but remember, all this is going on because Jonah is loved by God. Do you need a second chance? The Bible is full of stories of people who got second chances. Adam and Eve, second chance. King David, second chance. Solomon, second chance. Even Peter, Simon Peter, who denied the Lord. Second, multiple chance after chance after chance. I mean, when he cut the guy's ear off, that should have been it for him anyway. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, chance after chance after chance. So here's Jonah. He's tender. He's repentant. He's probably slimy and shriveled from the gastric juices and that thing. And, come on, you think he comes out looking like Ken and Barbie? <laughs> and basically, he's cookie-tossed onto the beach by, you know, the whale. The whale doesn't go, walk out. No, he's <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what, a, what a picture that had to be and, and look at where Jonah got sent by God back to Nineveh he says okay buddy we're going to go back though but I'm going to save you but we're going to go back to where I was sending you in the first place you're not getting out of this you know maybe we need a second chance because you know we've gone astray what do we need to do the, the philosopher Paul said get back Get back. Get back to where you once belong. The philosopher Paul, McCartney, come on. <laughs> Write down, don't ever use that joke again. Okay. <laughs> Get back. Here's what Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, and, and you'll find this in Revelation 2. He said, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works. Remember, repent, and then do those things. Remember what life was like before you knew God. Remember what it was that the Lord had in his heart for you, his promises, his character. Repent of the decisions that you made that got you here. Repent of being led astray. Repent of all all of this that got you to this place. And then get back to it. Get back to the word of God. Get back into fellowship. Get back into prayer. Get back into worshiping and sharing your faith. Get back and do those first works. Maybe, you know, you're... um, as, as we' kind of wrapping up here is you're, you're in a storm today and maybe it's a correcting storm. maybe it's one that you've effectively brought on yourself and you've been doing the things that you shouldn't do and and maybe you found you were found out and maybe you're saying to yourself, "This is terrible. this is the worst day of my life. Maybe or maybe. It's the best day of your life because there's a second chance at your toes waiting for you to step into it. Turn back to God again. Remember what David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. God is saying, come back to me. I love you. I forgive you. I want to give you a chance. I'm going to give you another chance. And for some of us here who have never, ever even... Taken the opportunity to turn to Jesus. Here's what Jonah basically said to those sailors um, about throwing him overboard. There has to be a sacrifice for this sin. And Jesus is a sacrifice for you and for me. He died on a cross in your place, and He died on a cross in my place. And He absorbed God's wrath for our sin. And then He rose from the dead to prove He had the authority to forgive. And now he stands at the door of my eternity and your eternity, offering life to all of those who believe in him and call on his name. We're going to pray and close, and I just want to give another chance. I know that we had this once already, but I feel I want to give another chance to anyone to turn to salvation. Let's pray. Lord, help us to absolutely grasp in our souls how much you love us. It's not that you want to control us, I've heard people say that all churches care about is controlling people and their money, and that is so not true. I I don't know about any, I just know, God, that your desire, the way you think about us, is not about our destruction, not about our calamity, but our future and our hope. That you love us so much that you came to pay a terrible, awful price to demonstrate the love greater love hath no man than than he lays down his life for them. And you've done that for us, Christ. Lord, I, I, I pray that hearts, that there would not be a single person that can leave this place today that is not in right relationship with you. And all that takes is for a willingness to be led and be saved by you. Scripture tells us and promises us, all who call on the name of Christ will be saved. It's not about the fact that I raised my hand and said yes for a moment in a service and then went back to my life. It's about acknowledging and owning my inability to be right with God apart from Christ and then saying, okay, I will, I do. And then allowing the Holy Spirit to change and shape my life into a son or a daughter. It's not about our works. It's about your work, Lord. So we We recognize, God, that the miraculous is at hand, and for some who have never turned to you, their day of salvation is here. The day of salvation is here. It's time today. Who knows what tomorrow holds? I pray, God, that hearts would be available. Church, keep your eyes closed. If you're a Christian, I ask you to be praying right now. If you've never opened your heart, I'm I'm telling you, you need to make a decision to follow Christ, and today is the day of your salvation. Can I pray with you? I'm gonna look around and just look up at me or give me a hand wave let me pray with you if that's all it's all if that's is that you honey God bless you okay make eye contact or give me a hand wave I don't want to leave anybody out so I'm looking okay Lord thank you for chasing us down with your love Lord, I pray for not just those who are new to you today, but every one of us to allow something of the freshness of your, of your of relationship with you to come blowing into our lives like so much like a, a cool spring wind, that God, there would be that renewal of vision for partnering with you, a renewed, Lord, desire to, to hear your voice and to walk in the steps that you order for us, Lord. Renew that in us, I pray, and thank you for it in Jesus' name. We're gonna have that